0: Cause for Action is brought to you by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform, the leading legal reform advocate in the U.S. and around the world. Learn more
1: at instituteforlegalreform.com.
0: In January, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, released a proposed rule that would create a terms and conditions registry. The CFPB's proposed rule, if it's finalized, will create a name and shame public database of various terms and conditions, including arbitration agreements and non-bank consumer financial contracts. In response to this misguided proposed rule, the U.S. Chamber recently submitted a comment letter, a coalition letter with 10 other trade associations, along with a report titled "A Critique of the CFPB Proposed Rule by NDP Analytics, um, all of which opposed the rule. The CFPB's proposal is a thinly veiled attack on arbitration agreements and is a backdoor attempt to ban those types of agreements and consumer financial agreements covered by the proposed rule. In the Chamber's view, the CFPB's proposal would harm businesses as well as consumers without providing any real benefit. And So hello and welcome to another episode of Cost for Action, I'm Matt Webb, the Senior Vice President for Legal Reform Policy here at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform. On this episode of Calls for Action, I'm joined by Mary Donovan, Principal and Senior Economist at NDP Analytics, and Bill Hulse, who is the Vice President at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Center for Capital Markets Competitiveness, or CCMC. So, welcome Mary and Bill, and thanks for joining us today. So, Bill, I um, just wanted to see if you could just kind of start us off by telling us uh, a little bit about the CFPB's proposed rule, and what these changes if they end up getting finalized would mean for Matt,
2: Yeah. as you mentioned the proposed rule would establish a registry of certain terms and conditions and form contracts that covered non-banks would have to report to the cfpb the CFPB asserts that the terms and conditions will need to be reported are those that claim to waive or limit consumer rights and protections the CFPB mentions numerous terms and conditions in its proposed rule um, such as class action waivers but the proposal mentions arbitration by name 152 times in 64 pages of the Federal Register. As you mentioned, this is a thinly veiled attack on arbitration. Um, It is also no coincidence that the Bureau issued the proposed rule shortly after receiving pressure from consumer groups calling for action to limit the use of arbitration. Um, The proposed rule, sorry, the Bureau proposes that this information be included in a public database to help, What they say is to help inform consumers about the risk of these terms and conditions. Um, the Bureau also claims that companies that use these terms and conditions are more likely to violate consumer financial protection law, but of course doesn't provide any real evidence. Importantly, the Bureau also states that the use of terms and conditions will inform its risk-based supervision program of non-banks. In other words, if a non-bank uses these terms and conditions, especially arbitration and its form contracts, and it should expect regular exams from the agency. What is particularly shocking about this proposed rule is that the entire logic flows from the premise that arbitration is somehow risky to consumers, and attempting to do so relies on data from a 2017 study that they attempted to use to justify a rule that was quickly overturned by a Congressional Review Act resolution. In fact, the Chambers Institute for Legal Reform published a report criticizing the CFB study five years ago, specifically pointing out their misunderstanding of arbitration and how the practices is a net benefit to consumers so getting back to your second part of your question what's the impact on businesses is that for agencies that are supervised by the cfpb if this rule is finalized they can expect more attention in their examinations for their use of these terms and conditions Um, this is specifically applicable to non-banks given this registry is for non-banks but presumably, depository institutions that are supervised by the CFPB, this will at minimum bleed over, but a registry like this could also require, could be expanded later to have depository institutions report information like this to the CFPB. So that's it on the supervisory and examination side. There's also this question of headline risk as well. While the CFPB certainly could have made this a private database where companies, you know, confidentially submitted information to the agency, and the agency used that to inform us for a space examination program. Here, the CAPB has made an obvious effort to make this information public. You know, it's now a question of in what form will make this information public? Are they just going to put this information on a database in their website? Or are they going to use this information and frame it in a way that supports their narrative that these terms and conditions are risky to discourage consumers from interacting with certain financial services providers or certain sectors of um, the consumer financial system.
0: Okay. So, I mean, I guess one of the big questions that I've had with this, and I'm sure our listeners have, is why does the Bureau seem to care so much about arbitration, and why do they have such such an agenda uh, or apparent agenda against it? Um, So, I mean, I know that the Chamber comments kind of talk through that a fair amount. Do you want to kind of explain that a little bit more for our viewers and listeners? there's
2: certainly an agenda at the CFPB, and the Center for Capital Markets at the Chamber is a frequent commenter on CFPB regulatory proposals. For years, we've provided constructive feedback on regulatory proposals that we think can provide clarity to the financial system, that have the intention of helping consumers, and that, you know, we believe are well-intended. Um, the agenda at the CFPB has certainly changed over the last, since over the last year or so, after um, Rohit Chopra was sworn in as its director. In fact, last June, the Chamber of Con- Commerce announced a CFPB transparency and accountability campaign to rein in the agency's harmful rhetoric, its regulatory overreach, and what we very pointedly describe as unlawful activity being pursued by the agency's director. Um, our primary motivation for commenting on this rule and building broad coalition of industry voices that share our concerns is that, it's, as we've mentioned, it's a backdoor attack on arbitration. You know, We thought this was kind of a settled matter after, one, we made very good points in the lawsuit we filed against the CFPB on the separate but very closely related topic four or five years ago, but also that Congress and the President have spoken on this matter when they enacted a Congressional Review Act resolution. So there is certainly a political agenda here, but fortunately, you know the facts are on our side. Um, so we make numerous okay. concerns with the proposed rule, but we kind of—I'm going to stick to the kind of primary arguments, at least for at least for today. Is that first the bureau lacks the legal authority to promulgate this rule? Primarily, the bureau's only applicable authority related to arbitration is under Section 1028 of the Dodd-Frank Act, which we've now mentioned a few times that Congress later nullified via Congressional Review Act Resolution. Second, that the rule is arbitrary, capricious, and irrational because it is based on the false premise that arbitration is risky for consumers. Third, that the CFPB only offers data about arbitration clauses, data that we refute, but is seeking to require reporting of information on other terms and conditions. Fourth, we punched quite a few holes in its cost-benefit analysis. We could probably devote an entire podcast to that, but I'll just use this as an opportunity to mention that the CFPB has not explained any benefits to consumers other than companies might stop using arbitration, which is, of course, not to the benefit of consumers. Fifth, the CFPB is structured unconstitutionally. Um, We share the opinion of the Fifth Circuit in this matter. Therefore, it should not attempt anything controversial like this rulemaking. And sixth, and finally, if the Bureau is to move forward, which we would recommend, again, strongly, it should have to demonstrate that any term and condition included in this registry be supported by overwhelming evidence that it is risky to consumers, which it hasn't done here for any of the terms and conditions it's
0: proposed, including. Okay. So, Mary, um, as part of our filing, with the bureau regarding the uh, proposed rule, um, we included a report that you uh, did on our behalf um, that looked at the CFPB's own data and tested uh, the various hypotheses that under underpin the proposed rule. Can you tell me what those hypotheses are and um, what you found in your report?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely, and excited to be here today. So underlying the CFPB proposed rule is this assertion that these terms and conditions in consumer contracts, and specifically we're talking about arbitration agreements today, somehow inherently pose risk to consumers. And when you think about it, that's a really remarkable blanket statement to make. Um, Bill, as you mentioned earlier, we, we have found in our other research on arbitration that In fact, consumers benefit from arbitration, Um, their win rates are higher, their award amounts are larger, the time to completion is shorter. So when we look at this premise that arbitration agreements equate consumer risk, it obviously raises a lot of red flags um, on our end. And the primary research question is exactly that. does the use of arbitration agreements equate consumer risk? And to look at that, you know, to simplify this, we took a framework where essentially we make two groups. We look at groups that have a high use of arbitration agreements and we look at groups that have a low or no use of arbitration agreements. And we compare the outcomes for both groups as it relates to consumer risk. And I know we'll get into it a little bit more in a minute, but when we're looking at it, we run statistical analyses, we run correlations, we compare these two groups, and each time, every way we look at it, we find the same thing, that there is no relationship between arbitration agreements, the use of arbitration agreements, and consumer risk. Okay.
0: So, I mean, just to try to kind of we'll find a point on this, and just to make sure... I'm understanding that correctly, and then our listeners and viewers are as well, but so really there's no linkage at all between the use of arbitration and the alleged bad behavior that the CFPB describes and basically is the basis for the rule?
1: Yeah, um, that is okay. exactly right. Um, the premise of the proposed rule as it relates to arbitra- arbitration agreements has no grounds. Um, and any time okay. you're looking at consumer research or quantitative research, there's two sticking points. Um, You think about the data, and you think about the definitions. And in our research here, we were able to use CFPB's own data and CFPB's own definitions to examine this topic. So specifically in the rule, CFPB points to its consumer complaints and its use of enforcement actions as relevant measures of consumer risk. Um, Previously, CFPB also put out their own estimates of the use of arbitration agreements by different industries. So we take what they have here to separate our data into two groups, that high use of arbitration agreements and low use of arbitration agreements, and we analyze the outcomes as it relates to consumer complaints and enforcement actions. And as I mentioned earlier, using their own data we were able to show that the outcomes of these two groups are similar and that the correlation between the use of arbitration agreements and consumer complaints shows there's no or indicates there's no relationship. Similarly, the use of arbitration agreements and enforcement actions indicates there's no relationship between that. Um, And I think, you know, the final step we took in this is that when we're looking at those arbitration groups, we're using estimates of the use of arbitration. We go one step further and we say, let's look at the known arbitration users, right? We use uh, AAA and JAMS, two of the largest arbitration service providers, data from them. And we look at companies that we know use arbitration and we look at the outcomes for them and compare it to the groups that don't use arbitration. And we come to the same conclusion. There is really no difference in the outcomes for both of these groups. Um, So, you know, long story story short, so we don't put your listeners to sleep talking about data, um, I think our findings squarely contradict the CFPB premise that arbitration agreements equate consumer risk. Um, There's just no grounds for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're, the, the rules basically build a foundation of analytical quicksand based on at least what your research has shown. So. But, um, but, Bill, I mean, how do you think the the findings of NDP's research um, ultimately impacted our comments and what kind of impact do you think the proposed rule will end up having on the business community should the CFPB actually promulgate it in its... At least in its current yeah. form. So
2: NDP's research was critical to our comment letter. You know, as Mary pointed out, the primary premise from the CFB's proposal is that arbitration is risky, and if we're able to successfully challenge that premise using their data, um, it really allowed us to make some pretty effective arguments. On building on top of that, um, of course, you know, if the CFB had done its own homework, um, this probably would have been obvious. You know, here we didn't use any proprietary data, as Mary pointed out. We simply analyzed publicly available data on the B's website and um, referenced it across some other data. And so here it doesn't look like they were interested in doing the kind of hard, doing their homework here and rolling up their sleeves and doing the analytical, you know, rigorous research that's necessary to promulgate, you know, rules where the benefits exceed the costs. Um,
0: so, you know, I mean, I mean, is this a rule that's really going to impact just large businesses or is it going to potentially impact small businesses It's going well, to
2: impact any business that meets the definition of a financial services provider or a third-party services provider under the Consumer Financial Protection Act. That is a non-bank, I okay. should clarify. Um, but however, it could later then be expanded to depositories. So it's pretty expansive okay. in its well, what about- range. I think people frequently forget that just really the significant reach of the CFPB's authority, it's not specific to any just, you know, list of institutions and really the purpose of this proposed rule. And the idea of creating a registry is the CFPB wanted to understand or have a better understanding of the non-banks that are within its within its examination authority, and we don't object to that. You know, the CFPB should have an understanding of what the market looks like, and they should have an understanding of, you know, the companies that are out there that they should consider examining. It's the way they went about it that we found to be particularly troubling.
0: Well, I mean, will this end up impacting companies that don't even – Normally think of themselves in the consumer financial space. Um, say, for example, you've got a contract with a with a consumer, and you end up um, having to work with a financial service provider, um, and they're basically using that contract. Yeah, for whatever so I guess a the scenario. Happening. So, for
2: might be you know, say you're a. Say you're a telecommunications company, or say you're a cable company that uses arbitration clauses, and you have a customer who, for you know, whatever your rules are about whether going into default and when you want to send it into collections, that um, that you send this, to, you send the account to a third-party debt collector, and there's, for example, there's this outstanding question in the proposed rule about whether or not. That third-party debt collector, given it is invoking the terms and conditions of that contract, would then have to be reporting that contract to the CFPB? So, wouldn't just be for this, you know, the third party, their customer here is in fact like the cable company, the telecom company, but just imagine, you know, how many companies out there make use of third-party debt collection? Um, it's I don't know the exact statistics, but there are quite a few. We don't know that that was the okay. CFPB's intention in this rule, and we argue against them, you know, going down a, ro- a mm-hmm. road like this. But it's something I think a lot of businesses should be thinking about, especially those outside of the financial services space.
0: Okay, so I mean, I guess one of the overarching concerns that I've heard about what the CFPB's been doing here is that this really isn't a an effort to Get at real problems. This is a almost a political agenda or a results-based analysis that they have, um, particularly directed at um, things like arbitration. I mean, is that is that a fair characterization uh, that you at this point, or is there so, or, or are they genuinely thinking that arbitration is just bad for consumers?
2: I mean, if, if that question's for me, Matt, I think the uh, the yeah yeah. They had a conclusion before they started the fact-finding mission here. When they talk about you know, terms and conditions and enumerate quite a few in the proposed rule, but don't provide any evidence about those terms and conditions, but then mention the word arbitration 152 times in a 64-page rule, uh, it certainly gets a lot of people's attention, especially given to, you know, there was very public pressure from some other stakeholder groups uh, last fall, that Director Chopra recognized and even mentioned in a speech. And He said he was looking to do something around arbitration. I don't remember those, if those were his exact words, but it's to that point. And um, you know, this has been a partisan issue. That being said, you know, Congress has spoken on this. You know, there is a very clear cease and desist to be a Congressional Review Act resolution.
0: Okay. Okay, Mary, I mean, one, one last question I've got for you is just in the broader context of arbitration versus versus litigation. Um, if the Bureau's approach is, is wrong, as, as we assert, um, I mean, how does your earlier research um, square up with the assertions that the CFPB and, and others um particularly those in the, on the, in the trial bar community, um, talk about how arbitration is, is bad for consumers versus court-based litigation. Um, is that sort of logic um, accurate or yeah, No,
1: There's a lot of rhetoric out there about how awful arbitration is and how everybody should go through the legal system. And when you look at it, it, it just doesn't line up. Um, even when you look at the studies that are out there saying litigation is better, when you look at them, you know, just slightly under the surface level, they're not comparing apples to apples. They're not really looking at this through the eyes of the consumer. They're looking at this, you know, with an agenda to push litigation. Um, it is a lot more expensive. It's a lot more difficult to get through. And not many people can do it, right? You might have a few really high-dollar awards, but on average and median, it doesn't work out better for the consumer. Okay. Well, I think,
0: Mary, you ended up getting uh, the last word in today. And want to thank you for joining us. And Bill, thank you also for joining us. And feel free to... Uh, Reach out to us at ILR, for those of you who are listening and and watching today, to find out more about uh, the CFPB's uh, proposed rule here. And uh, thank you for listening in, and this is Cause for Action. Thank you very much.